0: This is awesome. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I had someone come up to me, and they they reminded me of one of my favorite verses. How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. What a wonderful day this is. Thank you so much for being here. Isn't this an awesome place? Woo! Woo! Man. I have been running on adrenaline for I don't know how long. I could hardly even sleep last night. If you thought I was excited last week when we left Sandra Day O'Connor High School, that isn't nothing compared to how I feel today. I am so excited about what God has done here in this place. I am so overwhelmed, so I need to stop talking. I'm going to be crying throughout the whole message this morning. I was just overwhelmed, the first service. And in this service, as I look around, so many of you, have given your blood, sweat, and tears for many years to this place, 20 years, 20 years, and now we have our own place. We own half of this place, and we've got renters, and God has just blessed us tremendously. On I-17, you've got to be kidding. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. God has given us opportunity to reach more and more people with the amazing message of the gospel of Jesus. Oh, what is this? This is this is the spit zone. That is not right. Where's the ushers? They're out of here. Oh, see, they? They're gonna, you know what? I'll 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 back up a little bit. You guys know we are. This is more intimate. In fact, the spit zone goes all the way to the back row, right there. I think I can launch a few that far. That's scary. So what a wonderful day. And you know what, I'm, my excitement is, is through the roof here this morning with this place and what God has done through the many lives uh, here at Desert Breeze. But my excitement is even more so for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am just, I am so stoked. I've never been more stoked, more excited about the gospel. And now God has given us a, a new platform to proclaim his name, to make much of him. And oh my goodness, I'm just, I'm overwhelmed by God's grace and I was so excited yesterday. I was tweeting and uh, putting it on Facebook. I put the wrong address on there <laughs> a couple of different times. There's probably people up there going up and down the freeway looking for this place. I was just like, ah, oh, my goodness. God is so good. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're looking at verses 1, uh, 11 through 16. We kicked off a new teaching series last weekend, City on a Hill, and uh we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 16, chapter 5. We're titling this weekend's message, Witness. And uh, let me start off with a, share with you a story. Kind of one of my favorite stories here. Maybe you've heard it before. I'm going to be blowing my nose and probably weeping every so often as I look out. I feel like a uh, contestant for a beauty pageant, you know, and I just, <laughs> that's how I feel. <laughs> it's like, Just overwhelmed. So uh, hang in there with me. I might have to blow my nose from time to time. A man is uh, tailgated by a stressed out woman. And he comes to an intersection and the light turns yellow. Now generally in Arizona we all understand what the colors of a stoplight mean. Red means? And uh, green means? And yellow means? Oh my goodness, I was afraid of that. Some of you yelled out, accelerate, huh? (laughs) Accelerate. So this guy's being tailgated by a stressed-out woman. He comes to a yellow light, and he stops. And as he stops, the woman behind him goes ballistic. She's yelling at him and waving at him, and in mid-rant, someone taps on the window of her car. It's a police officer. He takes her to the station where she is fingerprinted and photographed and locked up in a cell. After a couple hours... They let her out after the arresting officer gives her back her personal effects, and he says, I'm very sorry for the mistake. Here's how it happened. I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing the horn and using bad gestures and speaking bad language, and then I noticed the What Would Jesus Do bumper sticker on your car and the choose life license plate holder, and the follow me to Sunday school window sign, and the Christian fish emblem on your trunk. Naturally, I assumed you had stolen the car. (laughs) There's no doubt about it that uh, it is possible to change on the inside with very little change on the outside. Changing on the outside is is religion. It's typically motivated out of fear and pride. It has nothing to do with Christianity. But in Christianity, it's about relationship. And what he does is that our hearts are captivated. Our hearts become smitten by the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is and what he's done for us that just so overwhelms us. It melts our hearts. It transforms us unlike we've ever, ever been changed. And as we walk with him and get to know him and live for him, it revolutionizes our lives. We are changed on the inside. We talked about that last weekend as we looked at the Beatitudes. The first 11, 12 verses give us the Beatitudes. And so here's our thesis statement for this morning. People who are gripped by God's grace, that's verses 3 through 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And so that's really talking about conversion When you encounter the the God of the galaxies, you cannot encounter the creator of the universe and remain the same. He transforms our lives. And when that happens, when you're gripped by God's amazing grace, you will be salt. That's verse 13. We'll be reading that. And, And you will be light, verses 14 through 16. And you will be persecuted. That's verses 11 and 12. And so there's a difference between belief and conviction a belief is what what you hold but a conviction is what holds you you can say you put your faith in Jesus a lot of people do but when the reality of his sacrificial love for you becomes a conviction in your heart deep in your heart it revolutionizes you it changes you and as you walk in the reality of that wow it gets a hold of your life you're never the same and you, you want more of him. You want to experience more of God in your life. And as you do that, as you have this relationship with God, then it begins to change the way you relate to the world. And so we're talking about, last week we talked about relating to God, and now we're talking about how we should relate to the world by being salt and light, and we will be persecuted. That's basically the outline. You are salt, you are light, and if you're salt and light, you will be persecuted. Let's, let's uh, pray, and we'll dive into our text. Would you bow your heads with me? God, what a wonderful day this is. Oh, your grace, your grace is sufficient. Glorious Father, when we encounter you in the story of Jesus, we are swept up into a story of such cosmic drama and beauty that we are forever changed. We are made a character in and a carrier of the great story of redemption through our Savior Jesus of infinite and eternal proportions by being salt and light. Open our eyes to the wonderful things in your word so that we can be better salt and light in this decaying and dark world and even endure the persecution that will bring for your glory and our deep, durable satisfaction in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. So let me read the text, and I'll begin reading in verse 11, and it says this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11, "'Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you.' You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall, it be, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light. To all in the house. And let's read the last verse together and aloud. This is a key, key verse. You guys ready? Nice and loud. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord to us this morning. So let's start. First of all, you are salt. What does that mean? There's many ways of looking at that. This is a metaphor Jesus is using so that we can understand our impact in the world as a result of our being gripped by His grace. There's three things. There's many things that we could say, but here's three that we'll look at this morning. Prevent decay. You are salt, therefore we will prevent decay. What does that mean? Christians run to, not from problems. Gave you a couple good cross-references there. You can study that on your own. Romans 12, 21 talks about how we are to overcome evil with good. And then it goes through a whole list of good things that we should do in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 22. And I'd encourage you to go through those with your growing notes this next week. But what is Jesus saying here? This is what they would typically do in these days when they didn't have refrigeration, is that they would rub salt into their meat because meat tends to do what? It decays, it spoils, it gets bad, so they'd rub it deep into the meat so that it would would preserve it. And so what he's saying here, talked a little bit about this this last week, is that as Christians, as Christians, he's saying that we should do what? We should not run from, but run to problems. Jesus is saying that when a Christian sees someone's life falling apart, you go in to stem the decay. And that's true as it relates to a city, a society, a neighborhood, you get involved. Now, we don't typically do that in our American society. Things start getting bad in our neighborhood, we look for another neighborhood. We, st- we start... Re- Moving out to the suburbs, that's just kind of typical. But the Bible says that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you will look to see what you can do to make the neighborhood a better neighborhood. I mean, oftentimes, you know, I've even had people say this to me before. Uh, I mentioned this last week, is that they'll be a part of a small group where they've got a few too many high-maintenance people. And we're all high-maintenance, Okay. And we all have our issues and all of our problems, almost as if you're going to find the perfect group. There is no perfect group out there. There's no perfect church out there. And we tend to kind of avoid those people. We don't want to get close to them because it's going to, cre- it's going to cause, where well, I'm going to have to give. I'm going to have to help. I'm going to, I don't want to do that. No, the Bible says that if you understand what's going on around you, you're going to begin to step in and begin to be a solution because we have the solution through the Lord Jesus Christ. As he's putting our lives back together, we can help others. In this sanctifying process, as, he, as he's sanctifying our lives, we can assist others in the, in the wholeness that he wants to bring to all of our lives. And that's, that's what he's saying here. Now, beware. Beware of the Messiah complex. Beware of the fact that if I try to find intimacy with another person before achieving a sense of identity on my own through Christ, all of my, all of my relationships will, be, will become an effort to complete myself. You guys tracking with me on that? In other words, if I have a sense of emptiness and I'm trying to find it through service, through helping others, that's wrong. That's wrong motivation. No, my heart should so, be so filled up that my completeness is in Christ. And out of that overflow, I begin to look for ways that I can get involved. Send me to the worst small group in Desert Breeze because I want to be a part of the solution in that group. I want to help them out. I want to love them and show them Jesus. And so that's, that's the heart that he's talking about here. And so if you're, if you, and that's, we called it a number of years ago. I don't, I've not had, I've not used or heard this word much codependency. You guys know what codependency is? I don't, I don't hear that word that much, but it just means that if you need me, I'll be complete. If I need you, you know, I'll be complete. That our completeness is somehow this way. No, 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 no. Wait, wait. Our completeness is this way. It's always this way, and then out of this fullness of what, who we are in Christ, then we minister, and then we can prevent decay. Otherwise, let, let me tell you something. It will burn you out. It will wear you out. I would have been worn out a long time ago if I hadn't learned that in my own life, and I began to realize that I had a little bit of a Messiah complex. That's partly why I was driven to become a firefighter paramedic. I was kind of driven to help people. I want to help. I want to help. I want to help. And I had to realize, well, that's a lot of that is not motivated appropriately. It's very unhealthy and it would have burned me out. So I had to keep myself saturated with the gospel and the reality of who Jesus is for me. And then I, you're going to have good healthy boundaries in that. You're not going to over give and overextend yourself. You're going to be able to, because you don't want to become an enabler to people. You want to truly help people. Okay, that's the first one. Prevent decay. Here's the next one. Add, add flavor. Christians are enjoyable to be around. Turn to the person next to you real quick and see if they can answer this. This is what we do here. It doesn't raise a lot. So if you're not new to this, we, we talk to each other when I let you talk to each other. Okay, don't be talking to each other until I tell you to talk to each other, okay? But but you can talk to each other. And here's the question. What was Jesus's first miracle? See if they know what was Jesus's first miracle real quick. Okay. do Do you guys get that answer? Okay. Yell it out to me. What was Jesus's first miracle? Turning water into wine. You guys get that? How many got that? Right on. Now that's crazy. Here's the inauguration of Jesus's ministry. By the way, wedding feasts would typically last about a week long. Jesus, we're getting ready to roll out your ministry. You got your disciples here. Let's do something big. Come on, let's do it big. Water into wine? Why do you think Jesus went to a wedding feast with his disciples? Because his mom asked, yeah, well, actually it was his mom asked, yeah, that's, that's true, mom was there and asked him to change it, he goes, my time has not yet come, and he was talking about the, the, the bigger time as far as giving his life, but, but uh, why did he, why was he invited? Because, uh, why did he go? Because he was invited. Why did they invite him? Because he was a likable guy. He was a friend of what? Sinners. Sinners. Oh my goodness, as I look around here, there's a lot of hope for you guys, And me too. I am so thankful that he is a friend of sinners. I need him. I'm one big sinner in desperate need of a Savior. If there's anything that I've learned through the years, I've learned that. I am desperate for him. I need him every, every day. And Jesus went to a wedding feast and turned water into wine because they invited him. They liked him. He was a likable guy. He went to have fun. <gasps> you know, we tend to live in a, in a society today where we worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. I don't know if you were able to track with what I just said there. Sometimes I just kind of roll that off because it's just, it's just, that seems to be how we are. We're so imbalanced, and yet you need to have work, but you need to have play. But in all of that, you should be worshiping God. That should be all of worship. All of life is worship and how we do that. But there's a lot of imbalances. And yet here Jesus is, is having fun because Jesus was approachable and utterly delightful to be around. Let me tell you something. If you're not running all out towards Jesus, it's because you don't know him. And the more you get to know him, the more you're going to run to him. That's what I found about in my own life. When I see someone running the other way, they just don't know him. Maybe they haven't encountered him yet. And I just pray that they would. Because when you get to know him, you're going to run to him because he is no doubt utterly delightful to be around. So let me ask you this question. Are people happy when they see you coming or see you going? (laughs) Boy, am I glad he just left. Woo! Now we can party. I hope nobody's ever said that about me. I'm sure they have. There have been times in my life, maybe my wife has said that a lot. Woo! Boy, am I glad he's gone! Now I can go spending. Oh, R.C. Sproul put it this way: of all people, Christians Christians should be the most filled with love for life. They should have a contagious sense of the joy of living. Out of all people, a sense of joy, and really know how to live. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way, life without Christianity is insipid. It is utterly tasteless, and men have to drug themselves in various ways because they feel their need of a savor. In other words, just to to liven life up. I think I would add to that, they have a need of a savior. You have a need of a savior, whether you realize it or not. That's why you chase after all the things that you chase after, because you are in desperate need of him. And uh, enjoying God's presence... Now listen to me. you got to get this. Everybody look up here. Enjoying God's presence is the summit of happiness. And it's ours by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You can't earn it and you can't unearn it. It's yours. It's yours. You can enjoy his presence because of the sacrifice of the son Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's what will ultimately transform your life, is enjoying his presence. And that's what will make you a person that will add flavor to other people's lives and be, and be a person that people want to be around. Here's the next one, create thirst. So prevent decay, add flavor. That's what salt is. And then create thirst. Christians create a desire in others to know God. Now, there is no way... You can live the Christian life without fervor and zeal if you understand the infinite implications of God's costly love for you. If you just think about that just for a moment as we sang these songs, if you let those songs go not just from just a concept but a reality deep into your heart, those are moving. When you understand that the God of the galaxies came to this earth to die for you, to give you fullness of life... It does revolutionize your life. It changes you. And there's no way you can live the Christian life without fervor and zeal when you understand that. And I believe what he's saying here in this creating a thirst, Christians create a desire in others to know God, that we are to live such an exemplary life that your good deeds refute the prejudices of others making God look gloriously attractive. That's what it tells us in 1 Peter 2.12. People may refuse to see the truth of our arguments, but they cannot evade the, the evidence of a life fully satisfied in Christ. Um, this last week, Thursday, uh, a, a guy that was, he didn't know this, but he was one of my mentors for many years uh, through the radio waves. Uh, Chuck Smith, Pastor Chuck Smith from Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California, passed away, 86 years old. Man, what an amazing race he ran. What an amazing race. And here's how I first discovered him. I was uh, my early days, early Christian days. I was uh, with my wife waiting for her in a drugstore. I was channel surfing, came across this guy. And this guy was lip-smacking so much about the goodness of God. I go, wow. And so I found the radio station. This is, this this is going to sound really primitive in our day and time. but so, uh, so I found out when his radio program came on. And I got one of those lights, you know, those uh, those clocks where where kicks on your lights in your house when you're gone so that people think that you're there. And so I got one of those little timers, and I hooked it up to a little radio with a cassette player so that every day when that radio program came on, it would kick on and record his program on cassettes. Some of you don't even know what cassettes are. (laughs) What's a cassette? What's a cassette? And so that was like, that was very primitive. So every day, I would set that before I'd go to work, and I'd race home so I could hear this guy lip smack about the goodness of God. And I'm telling you, that so stirred up within me, such an appetite for God, it was overwhelming. And I began to discover that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not only life-liberating, but it's soul-satisfying. And it was just like, he was just like, it was just enjoying. I went to a birthday party here, this uh, about three, four months ago, the first part of the year, and I had my two little grandsons, uh, two and a half years old. They were sitting across from me, eating cake. And these two little dudes, Ezra James... And Griffin Miles, it was amazing watching them. And once they had that cake in front of them, they were so focused. Uh. And the kids were playing around. They didn't take their attention off that cake. And they were eating with each bite, just mmm, Now, it was interesting how they both ate because uh, Griffin Miles just ate the frosting, just left the cake there, more cake. <laughs> and then the other one, Ezra James, he devoured everything. And he was saying, More cake. I mean, just watching these two dudes, you're like, I want some cake. (laughs) So we live our lives in such a way that it's lip smacking. It's just like, wow, I want, I want what he's got. He is so enjoying the Lord and enjoying life. Whatever you've got, I want. That's the idea of stirring up that thirst within folks. Meet people's needs. And I think along with that is just meeting people's needs with such sacrifice that they will need to hear the gospel just to make sense out of your inexplicable life. So that's that's your, you are salt, prevent decay, add flavor, create thirst. Here's the next one, you are light. And you are light. We see that in verses 14 through 16. Reflect his glory. As the moon reflects the sun, Christians reflect Christ. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds. Notice this. So they may see your good deeds and do what? Do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. Not glorify you. It's possible to be able to do good deeds to where people go, whoa, good job. Yeah, you're wonderful. No, 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 no. You do it in such a way that you're pointing to him. Now, I'm not very scientifically uh, astute. You know, I don't know that much about science, but I know that there's something that happens when you have a moon, you know, as the moon reflects the sun. What happens when the moon is like a half moon? What's going on there? Anybody know? The Earth is in the way, okay. The first service, did, they were like wondering what I was even asking. They were like, uh, they were kind of looking at me like, "What is? That? I don't, we don't even know what you're talking about." And uh, I think some of them actually still believe that the Earth is flat, okay. But uh, <laughs> don't say that. Don't tell them I said that, okay. But uh, but it was. But yeah, the Earth gets in the way. The world gets in the way. When the world gets in the way of our lives, we don't reflect the beauty and the glory of Christ. There's an old song that I grew up singing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will do what? Grow strangely dim in the light of his what? Glory and grace. That we are so captivated with the beauty of who Jesus is. Have you ever been there before? Where, man, all that stuff just kind of begin to fade. Just begin to fade. You begin to realize he's great. He is so great. See, listen, if you're overwhelmed by the issues of life, it's because you're not, you're not overwhelmed by how great he is. You don't, you're, you've missed a sense of wow. And so what you need is need to gaze and behold his beauty and his glory. If you're overwhelmed by life's temptations, you don't understand how good he is. And so you need to spend some time gazing and beholding. In fact, I put some verses here, 2 Corinthians three eighteen. it talks about that. He says, this is really how we are, we are transformed, is by beholding his beauty, by beholding him, we become, that's how we are transformed. By the way, every one of us behold, we behold something or someone. When your mind is free, you know, wherever your mind effortlessly goes to, whenever it's, you know, not restrained to think about any particular thing, whatever it goes to, that's Probably your God. I mean, when you are not needing to think about any specific thing, but when your mind is free to go somewhere, what does it go? And what he's saying is be so filled up with who God is that you regularly just behold the beauty that God is with you, never to leave you or forsake you. He loves you. And, and, and remind yourself of your identity and how much he, he's lavished his love upon you. It changes the way that you respond. By the way, I also put in there 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6. Now listen to me you got to get this, you got to understand this, lostness is blindness to the beauty and the glory of who Jesus is. When you share your faith and you lip smack and people go, oftentimes it is like trying to describe a sunset or a sunrise to someone who is blind. And God has to awaken them. And I'm telling you, even as I'm talking this morning, if you hang out with this and there's something that begins to stir within you that you want this Jesus, you want him at the center of your life, that's because God is opening your eyes to begin to see more clearly the beauty and the glory of him because lostness is blindness to the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's what we pray is that God would open blind eyes so that people can see his greatness and goodness. And God wants us to reflect that. It says in 1 Peter two nine, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh, my goodness, that's a wonderful verse. That's us. That's, that's our marching orders. He wants us to live our life in such a way when we understand our identity in Christ... Oh my goodness, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim his excellencies, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So listen to me. If you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he has invited you into an inner circle of relationship and intimacy that is incomparable He's invited you to know him and to make him known to this world. And nothing even comes close to that level of satisfaction and significance that he gives to us. As we reflect his glory to this world, we're afraid to share our faith because we are afraid of what people think of us because we are getting our self-image from people and not from God. So the more we focus on him and get our self-image from him. And this is what i found in my own life. People who spend time with God will radiate his beauty and glory in a manner that is always warm and welcoming, never cold and condemning. And so that's the first, reflect his glory, your light, reflect his glory. The next one is dispel darkness. Christians are to bring love, joy, peace, and meaning. Verse 15, light. You take a light, you put it on a sand. We used to sing the song, this is a light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Don't put it under, what do we say? Don't put it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. And so how many know that song? Remember that song? Oh, yeah, okay. And so I never understood. What's a bushel anyway? But uh, I think it's a basket or something, isn't it? Okay. And so he says, don't do that. You don't do that. He says, nobody does that. You let it shine. Let the light shine in all the house. This is how we let the light shine. In fact, I gave you some more cross-references. Matthew 6.10 talks about, and we're going to learn this, how to pray. Lord's Prayer, and in that he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now let me give you a, a good tip on spiritual warfare. Do you think that we're, by us being here in this neighborhood, um, we're going to be doing some major damage against the kingdom of darkness in this area? Would you agree with that? There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. I already sense God's strong presence in this place this morning in both of these services, and I see God just bringing a lot of folks right here in this area to faith in him and there's major warfare that's going on even now many have been praying we've been praying for this for many years but here let me give you a tip to spiritual warfare when you come into a dark room you don't curse the darkness you turn on the light because light dispels the darkness don't focus on the enemy you focus on the beauty and the glory of who jesus is and that's what he's saying here is that we are to dispel the darkness i happen to believe that as a believer in jesus christ that you and i can walk into circumstances that are dark and even demonic and i'm telling you what the holy spirit's power causes that darkness to to be dispelled in those situations as you begin to pray and you bring the love of god and the goodness of god into those situations That's what he's called us to do. Uh, I gave you another verse there. Matthew 16, 18 talks about the gates of hell won't prevail. So so what this is telling us, as as in Saul, this is telling us something about human society that it tends to be without truth and hope and joy. That is in an eternal. We tend to build our lives on the temporal rather than the eternal. And so when you walk into a dark room... Turn on the light because it dispels darkness. We are to bring love where there's hostility, joy where there's hopelessness, peace where there's chaos, meaning where there's meaningless. That's what God's called us to do. Here's the next one. Be a counterculture. Christians are called to be an alternate city within every earthly city. That's where we got the idea of city on a hill. Now, how many are familiar with the verse 29, 11? Jeremiah twenty nine eleven? How many would say that that's really, really a good verse? 29, 11? Could I bring you up here to quote the verse? Anybody? For you know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to do what? Prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Isn't that a wonderful verse? Well, verse 13 also says, you will seek me and find me when you do what? Seek me with all of your heart. That's a wonderful verse. But did you know that that's in the context of this next verse? And this, this next verse is in, uh, where am I here? Jeremiah 29, 7, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Huh? These people are in exile. They've been drug off by their enemies. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, I've allowed this to happen, but while you're there, seek the welfare of the city. Dispel the darkness with the light of who you are in me. So that could be a a bad marriage, bad family issues, bad neighborhood Bad job situation, he's saying, Listen, I've allowed this to happen so that you can bring light into this dark place. That's what he's saying through that. Be a counterculture, allow your life to radiate my goodness. Be we are to be a city within a larger city, a city on a hill. What does that city on a hill look like? Well, that's what the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is all about. We're going to talk about that in the coming months. We're going to talk about sex and money and relationships. And, and if people look at our lives here at Desert Breeze and don't see that we are any different than anybody else when it comes to all these different topics, sex, money, and relationships, then we aren't a city on a hill. Listen, let me tell you this. If you get up close and personal to me and you've known me for maybe 20 years, some of you have known me for a long time. And if my, my love for my wife... And my commitment to Christ and my ability to handle anxiety and anger and stress in my life is not any better today than what it was back then. You should not give two seconds to listen to what I have to say to you. You shouldn't give two cents for whatever gospel I'm proclaiming to you. If it hasn't transformed me, I'm telling you, it has transformed my life. It continues to transform my life. You ought to be able to go to my wife and say, hey, what kind of a husband he is compared to 20 years ago. She'd go, oh, you have no idea. (laughs) That's what she would say. I thank God for that. But see, that's the difference. That's that counterculture. Listen, when people come in here, we're going to get tons of people in here. We're right off of I-17. Oh my goodness. That's awesome. We're going to have so many people come in here, and this is what I want them to say more than anything. Oh, cool building? No. Great music? Whoa. Funny pastor? No. No, I want them to say, I have never seen people so madly in love with God and one another, and I felt love. I've never felt loved like that. There's, There's something about how they lived their life, and they didn't beat us up about it. They loved us. There was a lot of, there was this balance of truth and grace, this combination. That's what God wants to do right here. That's what he wants to do in our lives. And uh, guess what? This means, let's wrap up this, this last part. If you're a salt and light, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be persecuted. He says, blessed are you, not if, but when people persecute you. Um, 2 Timothy 3.12, this is not a verse that you'd like to pull out of your little promise box early in the morning. We used to have these promise boxes where we pull these verses out to give me confidence for the day, Jesus, please help me right now. And you pull this verse out, and it says, uh, it says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) That's troubling. You mean to tell me the more I live a godly life, I'm gonna be persecuted? Yes, that's exactly the promise. That's the promise. You can count on it. If you're going to live a godly life, you're going to be persecuted. You have an adversary. First of all, you have your own sinful nature that you're, you're working against, but then you have an adversary that's after you, and we've got this whole world that's headed in the opposite direction. It's almost like we're swimming upstream constantly and continually. And so you're going to be persecuted. Americans, we kind of have this weird idea when it comes to suffering. When we, we look at suffering, someone's suffering, we think it happens because, oh, those people are just dumb Or they're unprepared, or they're just immoral. They shouldn't have done that. No, no, no. Listen, he's saying that you're going to be persecuted if you're following me. You're not above your master. Servant is not above his master. In fact, the next one notice this. On my. Account. Notice he says, blessed are you when people persecute you on my account, not on your account. I think I stumped the first service. I'm going to go ahead and stump you right now. So what's the difference between on Jesus' account and not on our account? In other words, because of me, not because of you. What would be the difference? Don't be persecuted because of you. Be persecuted because of me. What would be the difference? Real quick, discuss it with the folks sitting around you. See if they know the answer to that. Anybody get that? You guys were kind of quiet out there. I think some of you are discussing it, but this is what it means. What does it mean, not because of you, but because of me? In other words, some translations actually say because of righteousness sake. So so by following me, but sometimes we can think we're following him and we're terribly obnoxious. So he's saying, if you're going to be obnoxious about this whole thing, you're not blessed. That sounds kind of harsh, doesn't, doesn't it? He's not saying... On your account, he's saying, on my account, major difference. In other words, he's saying, don't be a jerk. We've all we, I personally have been a jerk. I've done that before. I've shoved it down people's throats. All all truth, no grace. And then I went the other direction, all grace and no truth, trying to balance that. So where's the sweet spot? Because he's saying, he's saying that, yeah, you're going to get persecution. Now, let me just say, if you're always being persecuted, it's probably because you're a jerk, okay? (laughs) If you're never being persecuted, it's because you're a coward. You're probably not speaking up enough. So the sweet spot would be, with some people, you're going to reach. Other people, you're going to repel. When you look through the book of Acts, this is what you see. With some people, there was a revival. With other people, there was a riot, it was one or the other. That's the sweet spot. So you have to kind of balance that out. You have to say, hey, wait a minute, maybe I was a little bit too harsh. And other times you're going to just say, no, they needed to hear the truth. I did it with grace. That's just how they're going to respond. I'm following Jesus. That's just the way it is. I've got to have tough skin and I've got to be okay with that. I can't cave into that. And that's what he, that's what he means, means by that. Tolerance is isn't about not having beliefs. It's about how your beliefs lead you to treat people who disagree with you. We are called to be witnesses, not judges, juries, and jailers. T- Witness just gives testimony. All I know, he's wonderful. He's been wonderful to me. He loves me. His grace is sufficient. And we leave it at that. Anne Rice, who writes uh, vampire books, Discovered as she was doing some research, she was going to put Jesus as a character in one of her writings. So she began to do research, as most good journalists do. She did research on Jesus. This is what she discovered that Jesus is uniquely hated in the world. This hostility is not the same for other religious leaders, is what she discovered. You know why? Because in the name of Jesus, there is salvation. It's through his name. It's through who he is. There's no other name under heaven by which a person can be saved. And the enemy is doing all that he can to come against the name and the power and the grace of who Jesus is. So you're coming against demonic forces when you proclaim his name. And there's a, there's a, there's a wickedness about him because, because the enemy knows that it's through the name of Jesus, through his character, through he is, what he wants to do in our life brings amazing freedom and satisfaction to our hearts and uh and so stay in the sweet spot let me give you a a quick story here there was a pastor who was walking out in the country and he came across a little woodland animal with its head stuck in a cocoa can and he's trying to say how can i help this animal out and as he bent over to help the little critter he noticed it was a skunk And he suddenly realized that he had a very difficult decision. What if the little thing isn't thankful and decides to spray me? So he thought, don't be a fool, stand down when, but on the other hand, don't be a coward. And I think it's a good analogy for all of us. It's that all human beings are blinded by sin like the skunk with its head in the can. And it gets messy trying to help people, so don't take it personally and I'm telling you you're going to get you're going to get beat up that's just the way that's just how ministry is 20 years into this, I, I had to learn how to just manage that and work through that and, and realize that my identity's in him and learn to have good, bow, uh, good boundaries in that. But you're gonna get hammered. You can't take it personal. Uh, there's a couple in our church, uh, Robert and Rachel Cook, who are leaders in Celebrate Recovery. They gave me a shirt, and on the shirt, I wish I'd have brought it, but on the shirt, there's this big target with bullet holes in it, and then it says, welcome to ministry. <laughs> I go, wow, that's That's appropriate. That's good, especially in Celebrate Recovery, huh? Isn't that amazing? That's right on. And so it's tough, it's hard, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Because listen, listen to what he says. Here's the last part of this. He says this, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Oh, my goodness. 20 years, 20 years at Desert Breeze, we've taken some major hits, God bless my wife for her love and support and hanging in there. And yet I'm telling you, I am telling you, it's worth it because there is something that happens in our lives. When we reach out to others and continue to do that, and even if we take kids, his presence, his power, his peace is greater. It's greater than all that. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. 1 Peter four thirteen. if we share in his sufferings, we're gonna share in his glory. And we get... Little glimpses of that on this side of eternity through his presence and his power and his peace. 2 Corinthians 12.10 says, For the sake of Christ I am content with persecution because for when I am weak, then I am strong. And he used, Blessed are those when they persecute you because of God's presence. So here it is. This is where we wrap it up. Jesus took the eternal shame for you so that you can take the temporal shame for him. Here's the verse. Should be up on the screen. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him. Who was the joy? What was the joy? Just look around, you and I. We were the joy. Notice what it says, before him endured the cross, despising its shame. You know what that means? Was the cross pretty shameful for him? Absolutely. But he said, that's nothing compared to what I receive in that. I get you. And when we understand that, that he, he gave the, he experienced the ultimate shame for us, we'll take the temporal shame for him because we get him. We have him that exceeds All of that in our lives. It's amazing. Despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm going to bring the band up here and uh, they're going to lead us in this final song. And This is what we're going to do. We're going to do one of those big uh, shouts. As as we said, Psalm 46.1, shout to the Lord with the voice of triumph. As we ended... Our time out at Sandra Day O'Connor High School, I think when we shot, I think we did a little damage to the rafters in that church. I mean, we lifted the roof there. We're going to lift the roof here this morning. Would you stand with us as we sing this song and end our time together? When you begin to see that Jesus is more magnificent, more desirable than anything that life can give or death can take away, you're willing, you're willing to take whatever hits may come your way so that you can be salt in light. Let's sing this from our hearts this morning, and then I'm going to come back, give you just some few parting words, and we're going to do a big shout. Praise God. We're going to shout to the Lord the voice of triumph in just a minute, but let me just say I love you guys very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your commitment to Christ through Desert Breeze Community Church. This is a dream come true. This is an amazing dream come true. It's just, it's almost overwhelming. And if I talk too much about it, I'll start crying again. But it's just, it's just totally overwhelming. This is the grace of God. More than we deserve, much more than we could ever dream or imagine. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. So here we go. On the count of three, you're going to see it on those football, you know, out on the football fields today when they huddle up and they go, yeah, that's what we're doing right here. This is a big huddle up. And on the count of three, you're going to go, yay, God, or praise God. We're going to lift the roof on this place and we'll be dismissed. On the count of three, one, two, three. Yeah! Yay, God. Yeah! Woo! Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you. Have a good week.